What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and I got my co-host alongside me, per usual, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting. And I didn't screw up your name. I just screwed up some random word before that. How are you doing tonight, Elliot? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Um, I'm excited for another podcast. You know, after, what do we got, like 160 episodes, somewhere in that range? At this um, point in time, I think yeah, we're somewhere around there, 156, 155, 157. I, I would say after about a year, I went through a little bit of a burnout right after like the first season, where I just felt like I needed a break. But then all of a sudden, both of us got this second wind, and we didn't take a break. <laughs> Ever since that, I've I have not worn out of doing this podcast. I enjoy it. I enjoy it every single time. Now there's sometimes that I'm like I don't really feel like doing it tonight, but as soon as we start talking waterfowling. It's like, it's so much fun. I, I love, I love doing this waterfowl podcast and I'm so pleased that you asked me to come on board this thing. How many years ago it was? Cause I'm, I'm ready to talk <laughs> Awesome. No, again I'm, tonight. I'm, I'm the same exact way. And you know, I'm here, we're going to have a little bromance segment, I guess, but uh, I'm, I'm super glad as well that, <laughs> that we've partnered on it. I mean, I can't think of a better co-host that, than having you on um, week after week, you know? So it's uh, definitely Definitely working out great for both of us, I think. It's just a bromance fest because we're going to have on tonight my very favorite public land manager from my – we're not going to say exactly where he manages. But – Awesome. Anyway, (laughs) I I was going to say all this stuff. I'm like, no. But, you know, we've been trying to get him on for a long time. And um, no, I've known him for quite a few years. And in fact – um, my very, very first waterfowl hunt ever fumbles and I went out in that big old canoe. It was a teal hunt and man, we had absolutely no idea what we were doing. I mean, none. In fact, I don't know if I can say this. I'm not sure if there's a statues, a statutes of limitations <laughs> for, for breaking waterfowl laws, but this was Fumblemitz shot two illegal ducks on this, on this teal hunt. He shot like a couple of shufflers. <laughs> Maybe it might even have been three. I mean, we had, when I say we had no idea what we were doing, I mean, we had no, zero clue. And so Fumbles was rattling him off some illegal species and uh, not, not on purpose, not on purpose. He just, you know, we were just idiots. Yeah. And uh, we were the guys that, that, that you gripe about now. <laughs> but anyway, um, so we were set up and we, we didn't even know enough to sit up in the cattails. I mean, this is like 35 years ago or something. It was a long time ago. And so we set up this blind and everything. And we look and here comes an airboat right up the channel. And uh, if you've ever been around an airboat, they are so loud. And man, this airboat just goes screaming by us and everything. And... um you know, anytime an airboat goes by, you just kind of have this look of envy. You're just like, because airboats are so cool. I mean, they can go on like one inch of water. It's crazy. They're just the coolest thing in the world. We'll come to find out that our guest tonight, I'm 90% sure that that was him and his dad because they <laughs> they hunted that same pool and they were the only ones out there with an airboat. And I didn't know him at the time. Um, he was probably, he's a little younger than me, so I'm sure he was probably early in high school, but it was him flying by us. But at that point in his life, he knew what he was doing already where we were clueless, but that's pretty funny. Cause we uh, didn't know we had that close to Cam. It's probably, probably you remember that, but he probably doesn't remember that exact moment in time at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you know, you don't see many airboats. So when you see one, yeah, it, stands it out definitely, leaves- uh-huh. especially going by in the dark, because I mean, they're loud, they've got big lights, you know, and they're, 
And huh. you know, this this pool was just shallow water, full of mud. We couldn't even get any farther in the canoe with it. And here comes this boat just ripping by you. You know, it's it definitely mm-hmm. leaves an impression. So that was Matt and his dad. We're pretty sure they probably shot a full bag quick of fully legal ducks. Well, meanwhile, <laughs> Fumblements and I, <laughs> we're struggling. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty bad when you shoot over your limit of wood ducks, but it's even worse when you shoot over your your limit of wood ducks during till season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we refrain from those type of activities. But, you know, you got to learn somewhere. And, uh, you know, we, we were upland game hunters, and, and we thought we knew what we were doing, but we just didn't. So you, it, it, you just got to yeah. learn. And back, you know, the learning curve right now with YouTube and everything is so much quicker than it was back then. You just... You learned by trial and error or reading magazines. You know, there was no like get on and watch videos. Yeah. And and probably a hot tip for uh, most hunters nowadays. It's way easier to learn during big duck season than like a till season uh, because you have way more room for error. Like you said, so, like as a new hunter, um, you might make a mistake here or there um, with misidentification. But when you have six ducks to shoot, you know, it's not going to it's not going to hurt you. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I had someone contact me. They're, they're a new hunter and they're going out teal hunting and, and they were asking like, how do I make sure that I'm not shooting? How do you tell the difference between a wood duck or, or different ducks than, than a blue wing teal? And, um, you know, my response was, well, number one, you need to know what ducks are in the area. And I guess if you don't know, you don't know, but if you do scouting and, and you take identification guides with you and silhouette guides and you try to figure out what kind of ducks are in the area, that's a big, big help. And then number two, you don't shoot unless you're 100% sure. And new hunters yeah. are going to really struggle with that because when you're a new hunter, you know, and you don't pull the trigger a bunch, you're not happy. Yeah. But you just don't pull the trigger unless you're absolutely positive. Yeah. And I, I would say that's a mentorship is a, it's a huge deal nowadays. Um, and unfortunately, there's less and less of it than there's ever been before. So um, like I said, it's definitely a huge help to have experienced people to hunt with um to help you help you along the way um but yeah not always the case nowadays unfortunately yeah it's not but hopefully you know there's a lot of really good uh, personalities youtube personalities that do it the right way and unfortunately there's a few that promote things that aren't necessarily the way we wish they would but you know you just got to get out there and and if you have an ethical heart you're going to figure it out if you don't you're probably not so this boils down (laughs) to that really (laughs) <laughs> yep. I mean, you know, some so, uh, the, the trash throwers, when I say ethical heart, you know, there's the guys that go out there and that's just fishing and hunting and they, they're just willing to just throw their trash all over the place. And if that's the type of person so would you, you are, uh, you probably won't figure it out. Do you, are, would you consider like people who don't pick up their shells trash throwers? Yes, but not to the extent of like other types of trash. I think it's a, le- yes, I always, let me say, I always pick up my shells. And uh, that's so that's one thing that I've, I've probably had to learn like afterwards. Cause, uh, it wasn't something that, um, I grew up doing. It wasn't something that I was taught to do. Um, and the people around me just didn't pick up their shells to, to kind of start off to. And then you kind of, it's like you said, you hear, you hear people talking about it and you, it's like, yeah, why, why don't I pick up my shells? It's mm-hmm. like, um, and then, it, you know, it becomes more of a, a no brainer kind of like, oh yeah. You know, I mean, it's plastic and metal and you see them there. You have no idea how old they are. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely I, I think it's I think for whatever reason, it's a gray area. Like people are like, oh, yeah, obviously it's wrong. Don't leave your um, granilla bar wrapper on the bank. 
But then there's some the same people who would be like, oh, well, I mean, they're just shells. Just, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does feel. I don't know if it shouldn't, but it does feel different if you go out and see a bunch of food and drink trash. Let's say you see eight pieces of food and drink trash, or if you see eight shotgun shells, which one are you going to be more offended by? <laughs> you know, you're going to be more. Offended. You might not be offended by it at all from the shells. You might not be. Um, you know. <laughs> and, and kind of like uh you know it's a side a little side thing on that a lot of times when i see shells i'm like almost excited because i'm like oh it's a tip off this is a good spot to hunt you know like yeah you know because you know somebody shot at birds there at some yeah. point um mm-hmm. but it, it is kind of weird it is kind of weird that uh it is a gray area <laughs> well and, and too like uh, some guys go out and shoot two boxes of shells and if you have 50 empties laying at your feet and you can't figure out to pick that up then you're not you're not trying very hard versus you know, I, I average about six shells a hunt. And so if you're sitting in cattails and you spray sh- six shells on a day and there's no obvious pile at your feet, then it can be easy to forget to go and search them out. But, you know, when you're a group of four guys and you're each shooting 30 to 50 shells each and you're on the bank and they're obviously right around you, that's kind of a no brainer to, to pick them up. It's so obvious. But that's what you see. You see these massive piles of shells. Yep. Mm-hmm. To pick up your well, shells, guys. We don't we don't see massive piles in Indiana. We don't shoot as many birds as you guys do. So yeah. <laughs> I'm well, I'm sure there's uh, some good U-holes in your area, and some realtors in this area. <laughs> I bet there is. <laughs> um. So speaking of boats, I want to change change up the subject a little bit. Um. But uh, I made I got I can't remember if I told you this or not, but I. Um, bought a used boat blind. <laughs> mm, no, that's cool. Yeah. So, on, on with the the boat project. Um, I had a, uh, I had a blind that was attached. Um, that that me and Hunter welded on there last year, and it. I tried going with an uh, with a surface drive because I thought I'd be able to turn still, um, but I couldn't. So my handle would hit the frame of the boat. Um, and so I had to end up cutting that off and, uh, and I bought a boat blind for it. So, uh, I probably should have sent you a picture. Um, actually, did you, did you see Instagram stories today? No, I didn't. Okay. So anyways, um, it's one of the beaver tail boat blinds. I got it used off Facebook marketplace and, uh, I don't know. I'm pumped for, for it this season. So, uh, I got it on there and yeah. Still, still have a lot of work. This boat project is actually a lot of fun, though. Um, but I'm running out of time. I got like, I don't even know, uh, eleven days. What, it'll be like nine days when this comes out. No, less than that. It'll be like I don't even know. It's gonna be like a week till season. Yeah, a week um, by the time this comes out. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, boat boat project's coming along. But I got a sweet boat mine. So, um, yeah, I'll send you a picture of it later, Elliot. Would it pass um, Phil Conkey's approval? Um, hmm, probably. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why I went with the one I did with the beaver tail, mm-hmm. um, because it's one of the ones that has top cover over the whole thing. Oh, yeah. It's got shooting holes that are cut out. Sweet. Um, so they're Velcroed on and you can Velcro them off. If you're like, if I was going to go on a solo ho- hunt in the boat, I'd just Velcro off one square and that'd be the only hole. So, I mean, just kind of think about it with the same strategies to think about, um, a frame hunting and you want everything brushed in and no dark holes in it. 
Um, and the one hole that's going to be there is going to be where I'm at. So, or where if you have three people hunting in there, obviously you have all three slots um, with the Velcro out of it. So um, I don't know. I'm really, really excited to uh, use it and try to get on some birds with it this season. Yeah, that sounds cool. I can't wait to see what it looks like. Yeah, I need a lot of brushing at this point, but <laughs> yeah, it's about time to do brushing. I've been thinking about that. Last year, I didn't get the A-frame brushed for a long time in the season, so I didn't end up using it at times. And I, so I'm going to get that yeah. thing out with the next two weeks and brush that sucker up. Mm-hmm. Yep, I know. Um, me and my dad are going to go out and brush next week. Um, they'll be the week before, and I'll see if I can't get some other people to come too. Um, but we're taking the hedge trim and everything, mm-hmm. trimming down big swaths of grass and bundling them up and one thing we're going to do different this year and we tried it one time last year um on the a-frame is to um is to why can't i think of what it's called zip tie mm-hmm. <laughs> zip tie them onto the stubble straps that way it just stays on longer yeah um because we did it I, I still have the brush from the one i zip tied on there and the other ones kind of have chunks falling off everywhere mm-hmm. so uh, i think it definitely helps stay on longer so i'm going to bring a bunch of zip ties the hedge trimmer, we're going to trim down a bunch of grass and we're going to, I have plans to stubble in two A-frames, uh, two uh, kayak boats, oh my <laughs> kayak gosh. lines, and the boat. It's, yeah. I am glad that you don't live close enough to invite me on that deal. Because <laughs> that would I suck. mean, but would you rather do it, would you rather do it now? Or would you rather say that sucks and not do it during season? <laughs> I'd ra- that's what happens. I would rather not help you brush your stuff any of the time. <laughs> See, last time, last time you didn't have your A-frame brushed in, and so me and Golden Boy <laughs> brushed it in in the middle of the night. <laughs> what? When was that? That was the till opener last year. Oh yeah, yeah. That that wasn't. That was yours and Ben. That, was, that wasn't my frame, though. I don't think. I think that was yours and uh, Ben's. I think. Oh, it was Ben. Because mine, mine didn't get brushed until um, <laughs> like what was it? Shoot, like January, and when I went on the hunt with uh, Rob <laughs> uh, in the Flint Hills. Okay, fumbles yeah. my brushes. So mine went because mine went deep into the season up and getting brushed. But you're absolutely right. Brushing needs to be done before season starts. And, I just don't yeah. want to help you well, with all of your stuff. It goes way faster if you hedge trim it. Like I'm saying, you have these big, and then you just zip tie it. So you just pretty much make like um, bundles that are the size of your stubble strap hole and mm-hmm. and uh, zip tie them in there. It really is. It's really, I mean, that is a lot to brush in, but yeah. it doesn't take as much time as yeah. maybe what you're thinking. Yeah, well, and all I really have is one A-frame because my two my two layout boats have the raffia brass base layer on there, I, and I could probably use a little bit in it, but I can pretty much finish it up when I'm at site at the site I'm at. So, one A-frame is not that bad. I mean, it takes an hour, probably yeah. an hour with my dad and I to do it, <laughs> maybe an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah, probably. All right, well. You ready to uh, jump on into the main part of the podcast? Yep, let's do it. All righty. So as Elliot was saying, uh, our guest for tonight is going to be Matt Farmer. You want to give him a little bit of introduction before we get him on, Elliot? Sure. It's Matt Farmer. He is a public land manager and fish and wildlife biologist. And his job is sought out by many, many waterfowl hunters. It's what they want to do. He gets to manage and operate 
a public land area here in Kansas, and and uh, he manages for you know deer and upland, but uh, I'd say his love and passion is waterfowl hunting, and and most of his management efforts go into into that. Um, not maybe not as far as time spent, but I know that's the part of the job I think that he probably loves more than anything. But he's just a a, a great hunter and a great public land manager. Can't wait to talk to him. Awesome. Uh, definitely, definitely going to be an exciting one. Like you said, definitely a ton of, uh, cool information that we're going to get from that. Um, so yeah, uh, without further ado, let's, let's go ahead and get a quick word from our partners and we'll jump right into it. So first off, I'd like to give a big thanks out to Gunner Kennels. Uh, guys, if you haven't checked out Gunner Kennels, they are American made dog box, um, goes in the back of your truck and straps down. It is double wall roto molded. Um, it is, um, it's literally built like a tank and Elliot said this before, but it's a, it's like a one-time purchase, um, because these things are built to last. So, um, you know, when you, when you go with the gunner kennel, um, you're going to be protecting your dog, man's best friend, um, our investment in time with our dog. Um, not only that, but we just love our dogs. So it's like, why not get them something that's going to protect them through a major accident? So uh, definitely check out Gunner Kennels and use code DuckGun10 for 10% off at checkout. All right, guys, this season is almost here. Um, I know for us, we're starting teal season. Some of you guys don't start until a little bit later, but you need to make sure that you get your last products to update your gear. And a place, great place to do that is HTR Innovations. That's Hunter Innovations from A-frame to layout pads, gun stands, and what they've got called a quack pack, which is kind of a um, a duck hunting decoy carry bag plus a layout pad. My, my favorite piece of equipment, the one I use the most, is the layout pad. It goes right into my kayak, you know, and I lay right on it, and it's a ju- kind of adjustable. It's not built to be that way, but that's how it functions. And I just wouldn't want to lay out hunt without it you can also use it in fields or you i'll tell you i've even taken naps on it at camp at duck camp so make sure and check out htr innovations product code duck space gun capital d-u-c-k space capital g-u-n for 10 percent off and free shipping and jordan you know we need to figure out a way to make all our product codes the same i would sure i bet that would help people out that's something <laughs> we need to work on yeah we'll have to talk to uh everybody <laughs> everybody <else. laughs> Um, yeah. Awesome. So also we'd like to give a big thanks out to our partners, uh, motion duck and uh motion duck decoy system. They have the ultimate spreader, um, and the single spreader, it has four or seven ducks on, you know, each one of those. Um, and it gives real lifelike motion, um, to your set, especially on those no wind days or days where there's not very much wind. I'm just going to add so much motion to your set. It's, it's just amazing what that, um, jerk rig can do and it's not just a, a normal jerk rig it's a jerk rig on steroids um, and it just like I said we put it you, we put it out in the middle of our spread and you work it just like you would a jerk rig but that spreader um, spreads out the whole system um, in a way that looks way more lifelike than a single string of ducks and don't don't just take my word for it um, Google a video of it or YouTube a video of it um, and you'll be amazed you'll be amazed by uh, the motion they get from um, the motion de- decoy spreader. Uh, so definitely check out those guys as well. Um, use go code DuckGun2020 for 10% off and free shipping over there at motionduck, motionducks.com. 
As you've probably, most of you have heard about this product, but I'm guessing most of you haven't tried it yet. It's a finisher, and it is a little tool that you keep on your lanyard, and you'll never have to wring a duck or gooseneck again, which can be a very difficult task. And I've heard, I've heard horror stories about guys trying to wring ducks' necks and and then laying them down, and the duck crawls away and and gets away, and later, you know. Um, people see it out there in the marsh all mangled up. It's just, it's, it's no good. The finisher is a very easy tool and it dispatches your birds quick and easy with one little quick incision and it takes care of the business. So if, if, um, ringing ducks necks is something that's always bothered you and you want a more quick and efficient way to do it, this finisher tool is the way to go. Promo code is duckgun15. The website is adrenal dot dash line.com that's a-d-r-e-n-a-l dash l-i-n-e dot com or i'm sure if you just google search finisher you can go to their website that way but it's just we want to be ethical as hunters and we want to make sure that these animals are dispatched as humanely as possible and this is a great way to make sure that that happens awesome um also we'd like to give a big thanks out to banded avery and greenhead gear um, they are, they've been a sponsor with us for a partner with us for the last two years on the podcast. And, um, you know, uh, definitely been, been great to have them alongside us for the podcast. Uh, they have some awesome products from the red zone waiters, red zone 2.0. Um, you name it, they got decoys, uh, clothes, waiters, um, a whole variety of blind bags, um, so pretty much anything you need for your hunting gear between the brands, Banded, Avery, and Greenhead, here they got it. Um, you know, and it's just you know, some solid, solid gear over there. Uh, Elliot and I are both def- definitely big fans of those guys. Uh, so definitely go over there, check out um, everything they got on Banded.com. All righty, let's go ahead and jump on to the call with uh, Matt. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Got my gray-bearded co-host alongside me, per usual, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting. And our guest for tonight is Matt Farmer, and he is public land manager and fish and wildlife biologist. How are you doing tonight, Matt? Pretty good, Jordan. How are you guys? We're doing good. Um, we're definitely interested to hear what you got to say about um, all the stuff that you guys got involved for the offseason. We actually were talking a little bit beforehand, before we got recorded, so I'm definitely excited for this one. I'm, I'm, I'm open to whatever. And uh, finally, we twisted his arm hard enough <laughs> that he came on here and sat down with us. So thank you for I coming on here, Matt. No problem. Everybody's got a breaking point, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's uh, go ahead and jump on into it and, you know, kind of get to get things rolling. Um, you know, let's go. Let's talk about um you know, what made you decide to get into public land management? Oh, it was kind of one of those things that, uh, uh, you know, I grew up hunting and fishing, you know, obviously like most of us have. Um, it's 
in the wintertime, if we weren't chasing ducks or quail, um, we were working on stuff in order to chase ducks and quail. And then in the winter, in the summertime, we fished in camp. So, uh, went into school with an outdoor, you know, I wanted to do some, something in the outdoors. Um, once I graduated college, I did some seasonal work, uh, for, for our state agency for a while. And then, uh, position came open that was in public lands and, and I just applied for it because it was there and kind of you know, lucky enough to get it. And I uh, just fell in love with it. And, that's what I've been doing here for the last almost 15 years now. Awesome. What what age did you decide? Do you remember the moment where you decided that was what you wanted to do? Or did you, when was, when did you decide in high school or did you get into college and then decide your exact narrow path that you wanted to go? I, I, I think it was, it was in high school. I, I knew I wanted to work in the outdoors um, in some, in some fashion. I, you know, I didn't know if it was, you know, I wasn't really interested in the outfitting side. Of course, when I was in school, that wasn't really big yet. That's the only outfitters sort of were big game and, and fish. But uh, I, I didn't really want to do that, but I was interested in, in some of the scientific side. And so when I got into college, um, some of the classes I took kind of going towards fish and wildlife management, um, I, I took a class. My ecology class is kind of what really got me uh, interested, you know, kind of that, that class that, you know, Pretty much, you know, hunting kind of inspired me to kind of understand the the mechanisms, you know, of you know what in the wheels, I guess, of the natural world, how things work together, and uh, I just kind of sparked an interest, and we're we're off to the races then, I guess. So, did you? Uh, did when you, kinda, you did you know anybody before you got into it, um, as far as like someone to model after their career path? Yeah, I, I knew a couple people. Um, we got to be pretty good friends with a gentleman that that worked for a state agency, he was in a different capacity. He wasn't a, a, on the public land side. Um, you know, he got to do a lot of cool stuff, um, working with critters and working with people um, and trying to educate people. Uh, that was kind of his big thing. And and so that, he was kind of a role model for me there. And then my dad's best friend growing up, he was also, uh, when, when they were younger, he was a teacher. And then he was also uh, an outdoor writer for a local newspaper. So, um, he got to write a lot of stories about his about his trips and his experience outdoors. So he was a really well spoken and articulate guy, and and uh, we always had a lot of fun together. Too. So I had pretty good influences when I was when I was young. So kind of kind of talking about um, some of those type of activities you do um, with your work. Do you kind of have any you know projects that stick out to you? Oh, projects are always kind of you know. We bounce from one project to the other. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work in wetlands here for the past 15 years, and it's kind of become my my thing. And, and you know, um, big projects, it's fun to watch things develop. It's a real big challenge to watch things develop and grow. And uh, seeing the outcomes on the backside is, is, is really rewarding. You know, I'm not a huge fan on the maintenance side when, it, you know, the project's done and you got to maintain things, but that's just kind of where the chips fall and, and uh, mm-hmm. really we're maintaining something while we're working on a new project. So there's always seems to be something to, to look forward to. I mean, we never, we're never very static um, and we're never just doing day to day work and there's, there never really seems to be a slow time. So I guess that's good. It keeps things interesting and keeps things challenging. 
How much of your job is maintenance versus projects that you, I know like when you're, when you're trying to grow different crops and, and I'm sure I, I can tell from talking to you, you love those types of projects, yeah. but how much is maintenance versus the projects? Um, maintenance is, is pretty high up there. I mean, you know, one of the biggest challenges we have in our state is, is and public lands is, is dealing with noxious weeds. Um, you know, weeds are not supposed to be here. You know, we, I kind of get wrapped from bad rods from my, or I guess they get ribbed from my farmer neighbors that are, you know, they're out there trying to spray every kind of weed they can. And I'm out here spraying weeds, but I always tell them we're spraying the bad weeds or the good weeds <laughs> for, for wildlife. <laughs> but <laughs> but the, the noxious weeds, um, setting back succession, you know, succession is, is kind of the mother nature's clock. Everything's trying to evolve. Uh, you know, being in the wetland world is very diverse. You're always fighting trees, fighting perennial plants. Um, so that, that's a major, huge part of any public land guy's job is uh, fighting back those noxious weeds and those undesirables is, is the number one thing. Um, and, you know, and then working for a, an agency, you know, you always have to push on a certain amount of paper, but uh, that just kind of comes with the territory. But, uh, you know, the, but we have a lot of freedom where we can kind of, you know, we still have responsibilities and things and deadlines and things we have to get done, but you can kind of focus certain times of year on certain projects. And that's kind of what keeps you, keeps the flame lit for me, especially it's like this time of year, you know, we're, we're coming off this, I call it the summer burnout. You know, we've been working hard on X, Y, and Z, and, and now we're starting to reap the rewards from it. And uh, we're coming up on waterfowl season, so we're, Busting the pumps out, getting things those those tuned up. We're starting to mow levy tops and and uh, seeing what our moist soil management's been doing for the year. So it's just, it's been a exciting time for us. Awesome. I I can definitely see kind of the desire for uh, you know those projects and seeing them kind of through fruition and um, you know that's definitely really cool. I, I think as far as um, a part of your job and we're, we're getting a little out of order on the outline, but we just keep I think Elliot and me just keep coming up with more and more questions for you. Um, just because it's something that I'm not necessarily familiar with. So I, I just keep coming like, you know, um, so, you know, another question uh, on the same path is what we're going. Um, but when you, when you have a project, you know, for example, like you see a plot of land, uh, on the, on the state property or whatever, and you want to make that a duck hole, um, I guess what kind of process do you go, go through, um, from seeing that all the way through you, um, you know, like you do, you manage the, the, um, the growth and get it in mm-hmm. a way where you can plant and all the way to <laughs> you're shooting ducks out of it or yeah. people are in it, public land. It's, it's really pretty complicated. I mean, that's, you know, the public always sees the end product or in the middle of the project. Um, and they think, you know, because you work for an agency, you can do whatever you want. And, and really it's not the case. We got to jump through the same hurdles. Um, so we identify an area we want to turn into a wetland. First off, we have to identify you know, can this be a wetland or what would make it a wetland? And, and we look at the soil type and the vegetative, the vegetation on the property, on the area. Uh, will it hold water for one? And then from that, we kind of come up with a concept, looking at elevations, you know, kind of seeing what a footprint would look like with, uh, you know, certain depths of water on it. Um, so we'll do several mock-ups. We use Dex Unlimited a lot as a partner. They're a great partner with us. Um, they do a lot of our engineering work for us. Um, since we, you know, we have an engineering section of our agency, but they're pretty busy with other things. 
and DU specializes in these wetlands. So we have a contract with them. Um, so, you know, with an idea, we kind of cranked out a couple of concepts to see what we would, would like and what would work. And, and with those concepts, it's concepts that just kind of evolves into a, into a final concept. And, and once we have that, then we know what we need as far as, uh, water control structures, uh, how much dirt we're going to have to move. And uh, the biggest thing is the proper permitting. We got to jump through all those hoops just like everybody else. But, and, and Kansas is unique because we have to deal with water rights. And uh, if anybody knows Kansas, you know, water rights are kind of like gold uh, or oil, I would say, here and more in Kansas. But it's a pretty important resource. We just can't drill a well or throw in a pump in a river and, and move water. We have to, we have to get a permit and we got to pay for the permit and the applications and then you know, there's there's several permits we have to go through. There's a lot of federal permitting, so that that takes some time, uh, usually up to a year, give or take. And then uh, then after that, you know, we have our plan drawn up, and then things go out to bid to a contractor. And, and then once that once that gets closed out, then our then, then it's awarded, and then and then it's kind of hand the cards over to Mother Nature. Cause, you know, if you're building a wetland, you're already in a wet spot. Like the last couple of years, if she keeps holding you back, it's going to slow progress. But, but we've had good luck with construction crews. Those guys get in and move dirt. And, uh, you know, once all the dirt's moved and, uh, you know, we get some final touches done, then, then we, that's that's the coolest part when we can start throwing some water on it. And it's just like the Field of Dreams, man. You do that with anything. And if the ducks come, and it's, it's pretty impressive to see. And it, it's, it's worth all the headaches in the end, I'll tell you that. Uh, you know, knowing knowing you, because not not all public land managers are that that even around wetlands are duck hunters, and that's the great yeah. thing about you is that you are every bit as avid of a duck hunter. It's like which are you first, a public land manager or a duck hunter? I'm not. I mean, you you've got a driving passion for it. I cannot oh, imagine because yeah. I know this has I happened agree. for you. You've been there for a long time where you see an area. You change yeah. it into a wetlands. You go through the whole process. Then you're out there shooting ducks on it. That must be the most satisfying feeling to shoot a limit on something that at one point you're like, you know what? I think we should turn that into a a, a marsh. I can't imagine how oh, awesome yeah. that is. Yeah, I, I mean, even if, even on our maintenance or our usually maintenance, like you know, this time of year we usually go into some of our vegetative areas and we'll mow some shooting holes to show water. And um, either I like to get on the tractor to do mowing. Or I have a I have a seasonal employee who also duck hunts, and just kind of knowing the, the flight path, the way the wind works, you know, it's just it's just kind of funny. You just don't go out there and mow a square because it's a square. You know, I I like to mow a me I call them amoebas because there's really no shape to them. But you strategically put points in places and strategically mow these little coves, you know, that are out of the wind. You know, that would hold two dozen decoys and be a 30, 35 yard shot to the other side and. You mow the lane for the teal of, you know, how teal love edges of trees. And it's just those little things like that, I think, make it, that adds a little bit to the top of the pie, I guess. That's your ice cream on the pie, you know, for your hunters. Your hunters see that, and they know where to go. And and with that, as a manager, that also allows me to direct my, you know, I can spread my pressure out with that. And then I can also go back in some places, and I can mow something just, mow it completely where there's no place to hide and people stay away from but it's also a place that ducks know it's safe because it's open and nobody can sit around there so it's also a little sanctuary for them so i mean i i think it plays a major role and just like some of our other properties our managers are deer hunters and 
when they have phenomenal, phenomenal deer hunting, you know, for the public. And I'm not saying we don't. It's just, uh, you know, we, you know, we manage for a little bit of everything. But, but you know, waterfowling is a little unique, and and, and the wetland management is really intensive type management. So, it's it's a lot of fun to be out there sitting on the mower, imagining what it's going to look like with water come November, and uh, and actually seeing it in November. It's, it's it's pretty cool. Awesome. So here's a question, and I need you to be honest on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever mowed secret paths <laughs> that you only you know, know about? <laughs> I get that all the time. Everybody says, oh, you know all the secret spots, and you have secret spots. And in all honesty, I don't. Um, I don't let people know that. You know, when they start accusing me of that, I just kind of nod my head and say, yeah. Um, but in all honesty, I hunt the same place as everybody else does. And I love hunting public, and I love hunting the areas that I manage. Um, I'm like every, anybody else. You know, you, the scouting key. Learning the birds is the key. And that, you know, that's the advantage I have of my office being there and working there every day is, you know, get in at a certain time, check some emails, get some work done and, you know, oh, there's some ducks flying. So hop out there during the lunch break and <laughs> take advantage of it every so often. But, oh my gosh. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> so let me get but, this you straight. Know, just, your whole, your whole work life evolves around daydreaming about duck hunting and then yeah. while, and I know it's hard work. I know it's hard work. But then, on, then oh, yeah. you're sitting there at your desk. You look out the window. You see mallards, and you're like, "Hmm, break time. <laughs> That's not <Yeah>. bad." <laughs> well, not not all the time. You know, it's, we put in a lot of hours in the off season, and, and you know, I do take vacation time. I don't hunt on the clock. I'll, I mean, I'm going to say that right off the bat. That's that's a no no. I mean, I take the time, but <laughs> but you know. Um, like teal season in 2018, we had some flooding and had, had a lot of teal around and hunters were there early and, and everybody was off the marsh by nine o'clock and it got to noontime instead of sitting and eating a sandwich, I ran out and shot a limited teal real fast. So, <laughs> but then I was back to work. So, yeah, but doesn't but seem long bad at all. <laughs> long winded answer is, is no, it doesn't behoove me to mow secret holes because there's guys like Elliot that hunt your area that put the boots on the ground and find those holes so i mean it's guys are gonna find it no matter mm-hmm. what you do and and i like most I'm, I'm like the next guy i like an easy place to pull a sled or carry a bag of decoys and i don't want to have to make it as difficult on myself as i have to so. awesome so i guess um well, i guess we we kind of skipped past this a little bit um, but let's, let's talk about, you know, um, your background to hunting. I always find that interesting. You know, every, we've talked to people from all different, um, yeah. you know, different places across the country, but, you know, um, go ahead and, and, and talk about your, your hunting background. Oh, I was growing up. I was very fortunate. Um, first off, I was very fortunate to have a mom that put up with a, a man who was just obsessed with hunting period. Um, my dad. It was, he ate, you know, it, it was his life. You know, duck hunting was his life and fishing and being outdoors. And, and even when I was born, I was born opening weekend of teal season back in the day. And he was supposed to be there at a certain time to pick us up from the hospital. And he was almost an hour late because he was teal hunting. So that, that kind of sets the precedence for my childhood, I guess. But uh, growing up, it was, 
you know, hunt, hunting ducks all the time. And we had a mostly public land. Um, we did have a good spot on the river. The river was actually public, so we had to use private access. It's, uh, between my dad and his, his, his best friend, Jim, they were, I was, I was lucky enough. He would carry me across the river when I was four years old on his back. You know, I used to go hunt and shot my first duck when I was, when I was, I think seven or eight. And from then on, it was just a, just a bad deal. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good deal, but bad, like, I guess it's just, it's kind of the thing I do. Everybody's got a thing and mm-hmm. I really enjoy waterfowl hunting. Um, I still like to go hunt quail every now and then and, I'll shoot a couple of does for some meat. And I love to fish in the summertime, but when it comes to duck season, the things get pretty serious. Awesome. Definitely Did you guys not. do a lot of upland game hunting when you were growing up? Did you a lot of it or yeah, was it always waterfowl first? You know, I, I first, I first started really shooting ducks when I, when, when the duck population was really low, you know, back in the late eighties when you can only shoot two mm-hmm. mallards and don't get me yeah. wrong. I mean, we went a lot. There was a, we spent a lot of days hunting ducks, and it was really good. But we spent a lot of time hunting quail, too. You know, um, Let's face it, that's a lot of effort to go shoot two ducks, and, and we did it a lot, but it was also nice to go out and, and shoot some quail. And I have family in, in the western part of the state, and we'd go out there and pheasant hunt every year. But it was always a good time. But I, I was just always being drawn back to the water, you know, back to the river, back to the public marshes and the public reservoirs when it got cold. Uh, you know, with waterfowlers, you know, there's, there's just something special about it that you just just can't get away from. Awesome, De- definitely respectable answers on that, and uh, <laughs> I think Elliot and I can both see uh, see eye to eye with you on on the the passion that you find there. Yeah, and marrying good women, good women that understand why you like it. And mm-hmm. I, don't, oh, yeah. I don't know necessarily understand, but they just kind of depend <laughs> to the fact that it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say mine does. She gets, she has her passion, which is her artwork. So she understands yeah. that this just courses through my veins and I'm a happier person if I'm yeah. doing it. And it, it's where I find my peace, you know, and she good, yeah. good women get it. Yeah. My wife didn't really understand what it was about until she asked to go one day and she went with me a few times and then, and I think she got it. You know, she, she grew up in a family that did a lot of outdoor stuff, but they were more ball, you know, softball, baseball, uh, bowling type stuff. But they did a lot of camping and skiing too. But but when it came to hunting, she really didn't know much until we started dating. You know, when it, you know, why do you like it? And, and I think after the second or third time she went, she was ready to get her hunter safety in a shotgun. I mean, <laughs> and even now she likes to go. She likes to go hunt doves, and she likes to go during teal season. We kind of got a tradition that we'll take the girls out for a couple teal hunts in the evenings and. And she's just as happy to grab the camera and take pictures now, but but she enjoys it and she understands why why I enjoy it. And I, I think that was the that was the the big turning point I think in our relationship is she kind of understood why and what it was about. So. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, that's huge. It is a it is a weird thing to think about and to explain. Like for people from the outside looking in to why people are so passionate about duck hunting. I mean, you think about mm-hmm. it. Um, any other time of the year we avoid the cold like it's the plague. Nobody wants to go out and, you know, scrape off their truck or wipe, wipe the snow off the truck or the ice off the truck first thing yeah. in the morning. But here comes duck season, you know, um, and we're going out and hunt and we're getting up earlier than we ever want to. We're going out in colder yeah. conditions than otherwise we would. And, uh, you know, it just really, it really comes down to almost like a primal instinctual uh, thing. And, you know, yeah. 
And, and my For best me, way of explaining it is like it's like a dog that's going after that tennis ball. There's no like there's no real reason. It's just something uh-huh. in locks inside of them. You throw that tennis ball, and they have to go for it. Yeah. It, it's not, you know, it's the whole game. I mean, it runs the whole year, and it, it drives my wife nuts because after snow goose season, I, I kind of get into shooting some turkeys. But then usually <laughs> by May or June, I'm back to watching duck videos again. Yeah. And she always kind of makes it, make, you know, in the summer, you're messing with the toys, you're getting some new gear, you know, and then the closer you get right now, everybody's dusting off the decoys. You know, the anticipation is not only the day-to-day anticipation before the hunt, but this, this whole anticipation that builds up into the fall. And, you know, it's just – and then once you get in that grind in the winter, you know, you'll <clears throat> you'll hunt three or four or five days in a row, and it's miserable, and it's cold, and the waders are still wet. and But you know it's going to be good. And, you know, just those, those few bunches of ducks, you know, everybody's like, it's just for ducks. But, but then, you know, you get to that time of year, and it's like, well, I only got – 10 or 15 days of this left and I got to make the most of it, you know, it's going to be gone. And it's, yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's, there's just really no way to explain it. You know, unless you're out there in it. Um, and, and some people, I've taken a lot of people, um, and some people love it. And some people are just like, man, you're crazy. But I'd say the majority of the people that I've taken, they're, they want to go again. Yeah. And they're, they, they kind of see what it's about. I got two things. First, you made me think of you talked about taking people out and they don't like it. Well, you remember on the north side with the mud, it still kind of is like that, but you remember what the mud used to be like out there compared to what it is now, right? Oh, uh, yeah. My my dad and uncle took, they have two different stories of taking guys out for the first time out there and getting them buried in the mud. And <laughs> I mean, you could, I mean, I've heard stories about, I don't know if it's before your time of guys having to be like pulled out. From from yeah, out actually, there in the mud, but I'm, they ruined a couple guys in that mud out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My dad, he, my dad built an airboat just to hunt out there, and he had a giant mm-hmm. bottoms a lot. But when they outlawed airboats, we just hunted other places. But this airboat, you know, we could get around, and we got we got bad luck and cursed that a lot. But you know, it was a heck of a lot of fun to get around where we needed to. But yeah, I, I know my my cousin's husband wanted to go, and he was a big football player and a really athletic guy. And, and that mud's notorious and you know the water is only three inches deep you barely float the decoy but you go past your knees and tilt and it's just real sticky and there's an art to walking in it you know you got to turn your foot to break the suction and, and once you start moving you don't stop and and first thing he did is he's going to help set decoys and he hit boots and he jumps off the boat and he didn't move and my dad and i are <laughs> out there moving decoys and throwing decoys and he's just cursing and he can't believe it and we actually pulled one of his hits out of his socket because we had to get inside the boat, to get under his shoulders <laughs> to pull him out. And his hip popped out of socket. <laughs> and he, he was just mad. He had to sit there the rest of the weekend while we were running around all over the place. But it, that didn't burn him too bad because, I mean, he shot at some teal and he was sitting up high in the boat and wound up falling back in the water and got soaking wet. And, and he was every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking, how, if we're going to ruin somebody, this guy's going to hate it. But man, he just had the time of his life, and he loved it. And yeah, there you go. Some, some guys, some guys are built for it, and and some guys aren't. The the other thought that I had was about waterfowl hunting because you hear so many guys say, you know, well, there's just something about it, and and Jordan gave yeah. an explanation about it, and I totally agree with that. But I also think there's something about the migration. 
that these mm-hmm. birds are coming from thousands of miles away. I mean, out there, corn shot a snow goose that was banded clear up. It's either Iceland or Greenland. I don't remember. Clear up at the Arctic Circle. So there's yeah. something that is so wild about a duck and everything it's seen and its travels compared to, and I do like pheasants and quail, but there's a wildness and adventure to it mm-hmm. that other bird hunting just doesn't have. And I think in this modern society, we are craving that adventure. You know, I yeah. mean, I had Jordan up here in a reservoir in Kansas that had lots of submerged um, trees and stuff. And I was rolling our boat over those trees in the dark and it really scared him. And, um, but it's like that three o'clock in the morning on that lake, that adventure, you know, it's just that adventure that we don't get in modern life. (laughs) Well, you know, man's been, you know, man's been chasing stuff for almost 12,000 years. And, you know, it's in our DNA. It's, it's who we are as a species. And, you know, you know, in the last 150 years, that's been taken away. And I just can't, can't take that out of somebody. And the same thing is, you know, I love teal. Blue-winged teal are one of my favorite ducks. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love mallards and wigeons in the wintertime. But, man, in September, I love them little rockets. Just a little half-pound bird can fly from southern Saskatchewan to the tip of Argentina in just a short amount of time. I mean, that's just an incredible journey. And, you know, I shot I shot a teal several – I guess I shot a teal in 2007 that had a band on it, and you could barely read the numbers. And once I got the numbers on it, it was banded in 1997 as an adult. Wow. So it was at least a 10-year-old teal. And, and wow. that's the first thing you go to. It's like, man, this band has been in so many wetlands and on so many ponds. And <laughs> just the things that this duck has seen in its life. And it, it, it's just impressive. I mean, going to college, birds are always impressive. And waterfowl were impressive to me. But, but you know, working with them as much as I do, it, it just blows your mind on you know i could sit and watch them all day i, I don't have to shoot them uh, spring migration mm-hmm. where i'm at in february and march is just unreal the amount of birds we hold and watching them do their thing with no pressure it's it's really cool chasing each other around competing for food competing for mates it's just they're just a neat critter awesome so let's go ahead and move towards um, kind of what, what you do from day-to-day on your job. Oh, day-to-day. I get that question a lot, you know, what do you do? And I guess over the years, my easiest answer, my best answer has been, well, why don't you try to come up with something that we don't do? Um, our day-to-day, you know, our, our major tasks kind of shift throughout the year. You know, the growing season changes and we get into the fall and winter, but um, when it comes to day to day, you know, no two days are the same. That's what's so cool about this job. Uh, you know, last, when was that? Last week we were, two weeks ago, I guess we were clipping goose wings out in western Kansas that were resident geese for getting ready to restock in the western part of the state. Um, and then two days after that, I spent the whole day cleaning the bathroom, you know, and <laughs> sitting, sitting on the mower, mowing roadsides or, or fixing a disc, you know, welding on a disc that broke. And, and then the next day, uh, like today, uh, and tomorrow we're doing burnt, we're doing growing season burns. And uh, um, then I got road work to do, you know, to get to get ready for the season. And, you know, it's just every day's different. There's always something to do. Um, you know, we kind of got to roll with the punches. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, 
it's just hard to explain exactly what goes on. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of observations, just like the farmers doing what they're out of the front spinning. We're out, we're out in the wetland pools, we're up in the uplands. Um, one of my co- coworkers, he started a little thing with his. You know, we hire a lot of college age kids as seasonal employees to kind of get their foot in the door and learn what the job is like, and 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 we use them as labor to to do certain things to get things done on the properties. And uh, my coworker is another manager out west. He started what he calls Forb Fridays. And, you know, forbs are just a fancy word for weeds, but uh, they're good weeds and they're the weeds that we want. So, you know, we take these kids out and do these habitat reviews and we look, we do some plant identification and we ask a lot of questions. Of, you know, what if we do this? How will this change it? You know, what if we do a burn in, in July instead of burning in April? How's this going to change this whole system? And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a lot of fun to, to do all these different things, you know, I, there's no way I could stand in a factory and working on the same widget every day, every day of the week. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just hard to explain. I mean, it's, you know, one day we're on a shovel, you know, filling in the drain somewhere. It's just like last week we were, we have some new water control structures put in and we had a flood and we were just checking on things, uh, make sure the structures didn't blow out. And I pulled the lid off the structure. And there's a dead snapping turtle inside that's rotten and just nasty, you know. And yeah. There's some nasty parts to the job, too. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, yeah, you're gagging and trying not to puke and sweating, but a few days later, you can laugh about it. It's just an interesting part of the job. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. So when you say cleaning out bathrooms, are you talking about that old uh, outhouse there at the parking lot at the boat ramps? Yep. Big hole in the ground? Yep. <laughs> yep. I always laugh. You go in there and there's a sign they've got that says, don't throw trash. Because you walk in, it's just a toilet and it's just a hole, you know. And, and when we yeah, when we camp a, out there, we always play toilet. king of the hill. The last person that's taking a crap in there is the king. Because literally there's like a big mountain of crap. A big, a big oh, yeah. uh, like pyramid of crap. So whoever's gone last is the king of the hill, right? So there's a sign <laughs> yeah. on the back of it that says don't throw trash in there. It's extremely difficult to get out. <laughs> it's like you bring yeah, so I mean, many ba- images of like Matt crawling down in there and <laughs> pulling well, we stuff have, out. No, that that's why we hire contractors. I mean, you know, I'm not below cleaning out the bathroom and, you know, I'm not below any job and, you know, it's, it's got to get done. We get it done. But when it comes to pumping out those toilets, we hire a specialist to do that with a truck. And, but they, yeah, I, I see some weird things. They, they stuck that baby doll, turkey carcasses, uh, Nerf footballs. So now we you know can probably where, uh, name it. Yeah. Now we know where Freak yeah, but... Baby went. <laughs> Freak, <laughs> Freak Baby did not come from that outhouse. <laughs> that's where he came. <laughs> the re- the origins. But that's that's one <laughs> of the biggest solved. things. That's one of the biggest things you don't get in college. Is college? You know, we learn how to manage all these critters, and it's it's touchy feely, and it's hugging bunnies. But man. It's a slap in the face if you're not ready for it. You got to manage people too, and yeah. and having a place for them to use the restroom so they're not crapping all over your parking lot, <laughs> and and you have you have adequate roads and gates to kind of hurt them where they need to be and, and keep them out of certain areas. That's that's a big part of our job. It's it's, it's kind of funny because one of the first things you learn as a public land manager is never pick up one glove. If you're in a parking lot and there's <laughs> one glove laying on the ground, you just leave it where it's at. I know last year I was walking across the parking lot and there was a Sitka glove laying on the ground. I'm I'm not a Sitka guy and I'm not I'm not going to bash him, but I'm thinking what? there's a 
half of a hundred dollar pair of gloves laying on the ground. I don't think I want to pick it up. I, I didn't. I, I held. I held true to my rule. I just kicked it out of the way. <laughs> Guys really do crap in the parking lots, don't they? I've seen it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I haven't seen someone doing it. I've seen the feces <laughs> at a different complex. Oh, I've had. I've pulled up on a parking lot to start before, and there's a guy spraying his dog down with gun cleaner with brake clean because he rolled in human crap. Oh. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> Let's talk more just, about um, hunters' behaviors on public land. Um, what are, I guess, what are your biggest frustrations with how hunters behave themselves on public land? I, it, you know, where I'm at, I'm pretty fortunate that we've been able to get people to spread out. Um, we provide a lot of access. Um, I guess one of my biggest pet peeves is is not so much disrespect by, you know, most of the people I've been around, they, they talk to each other. There's guys that'll sneak in on other guys and get pretty close within 100 yards. But mm-hmm. really, the sky busting and the long shots, um, it kind of ruin it for everybody, and everybody complains about it. But it's usually a lot of the guys that complain about it are the guys that are doing it, too. Yeah. Um, that that and, and, and wound loss on birds is a big thing for me. Um, you know, they'll, they'll shoot at this bird at seventy yards and sail it out. And we've all been there, especially like death hunting. You know, you take a shot on a bird and it sails out, and you, you have a mark on it, and you're heading right to it. But then you're distracted by two other birds that cross your eyesight, and you got to shoot at those. But mm-hmm. you lose your mark, and, and there's a lot of times I've been out in these wetlands in the boat. Um, actually picking up trash. That's another big thing. If people haul in all their Pringles cans and monster energy drinks and they leave them laying on mounds and on the levee. That's, that's probably my yeah. number one. But, but number two is the people that don't make a hard effort, you know, to, to go after a bird that they've found. And, you know, they'll kind of walk out there and look around a little bit and, and then, well, we didn't find it. And they'll go ahead and finish off their limit. You know, I've got guys that'll, I've had guys before that they've lost four birds. And he gets up and walks back to the rest. And I got a lot of respect for people like that, you know. But it, it is what it is, and the laws are the laws. I mean, you don't, if it's not in your possession, I guess you can, you can kind of keep going. But, but yeah, yeah, the trash. The, the guys will take a lot of trash and dump a lot of trash, and it's not everybody. But, but yeah, the, the wounding loss and, and kind of disrespecting and ruining some other people's hunts by blasting the birds that you really shouldn't be shooting at. I know Can you ticket people, people for leaving there. trash out there? Can you ticket them? Oh yeah, yeah. It's just hard have to catch you? them. Uh, you know, we get a lot of we get a lot of complaints. I, I guess I should have talked about also being a, a land manager here in Kansas. Um, public land managers are also law enforcement. Ten um, percent of our job description is law enforcement, so we have to go through all the training, and we have to keep our certifications up. So. We're still full-time law enforcement officers on top of that, so we, we can't do enforcement on our property. But, uh, but yeah, I've, I've written several littering tickets. It's just hard to, to, to catch them. And, and we also get a lot of complaints about people shooting before shooting time or shooting early. And we know it happens because we hear it, but if I'm not right there and see the actual people shoot before shooting time, it's, it's pretty tough to, to, to write a ticket on that. I can write a ticket. Mm-hmm. It just won't hold up in court. So. Yeah, but yeah, I write people tickets for you know during the summertime when they bow fish and leave the fish piled up on the parking lot. I, I know it seems kind of ludicrous to some people, but 
you know, you got a pile of carp on the parking lot, it stinks, and then we got to go in and take care of it, and it costs labor and time, and, and it ruins other people's experience, too. And so, it's, you know, it's, word spreads pretty quick when you start doing paperwork, and it seems to clean up, clean itself up. Yeah. Does that even help when people throw carp on the bank? Does that actually benefit anything? No. No. I it just shows that they shot carp and threw them up on the bank. Yeah. Yeah. They throw it back in the water and the turtles. We got that feeds the turtles and puts the nutrients back into the back into the into the system. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go ahead and jump to uh, kind of talking about the philosophy of managing public land for waterfowl. Oh man, I don't think we got enough time to hit on everything, but <laughs> I, I, probably the number one thing when I first started managing wetlands, it was real easy to force everything. You know. I wanted the smart weed. I wanted I wanted millet. Um, I'm not a huge believer in planting and flooding corn for ducks. Um, the, the science just shows it, it just it works for a while, but it doesn't work year round. It's very expensive. Um, so I'm trying to push all these things, and then you get floods and and you get breakdowns where you can't do things at the right time. So I guess the number one thing I've really learned is just got to roll with the punches and kind of go with what you've got. It's more of an art. I guess. And, um, probably the best analogy I've come up with over the years is it's kind of like a year-long hand to five-car draw. You know, it's coming on springtime, getting ready to dewater marshes, and Mother Nature hands you this deficit, this hand. And you got this hand of cards, and this is what you got to work with, what you're looking at for the rest of the year. So you dewater and then you start making choices of what you're going to give back to the dealer, you know, what you're going to throw away. So, you know, you have this spot you traditionally is a, is a great spot for smart weed, but you're getting a big flush of cattails come on. So we're going to have to manipulate it somehow. We're going to have to disc it or we're going to have to burn it. Or we're going to have to leave the water off of it. You know, those are some of your choices. So you make a choice and you go through with your, your action, throw the cards back to the dealer. And then about halfway through the summer, she gives you a card, you know, she gives you the cards back that, you know, come out of the deck. And then that's what you got for the rest of the year. And you got to make that work. And sometimes it works. Sometimes, it, you know, it looks awesome and you come out a hero. And sometimes it's, what the hell was I thinking? And there's a lot of times I screwed up a lot. There's a lot of times you screw up and it's just, we learn from it. We move on. I mean, the public doesn't know that, but. I, I know I put a lot of pressure on myself for things to look good and how I think they should look. And the, the more I do, the worse it looks. So <laughs> I kind of just learned to go week to week and day to day. Uh, but, you know, these wetland areas are so dynamic. I mean, even humidity changes throughout the week can change what grows where and when. So um, I guess that would be my philosophical thing would be just kind of roll with the punches. Um, Cause you're always looking for diversity. Um, and then you just kind of got to deal with the challenges as they come. So. Well, I can say the amount of work that, that you guys that. have done <clears throat> at that complex over the last, since you've been there and even now, were you there when the refuges switched sides? Um, I, was that before? No. You? Well, I've, I've hunted it all my life. I got there right after, right after that first okay. phase started, like in 07. Yeah. So we've been pretty much doing big projects for the last 12 to 13 years. It's been incredible to watch how everything that you guys yeah. have done. It's just been incredible. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it all comes back to partnerships. I mean, we we lean on DU pretty hard. Everybody thinks Justin Limited does all the work, and and they do a lot of work, but they kind of them being the nonprofit really helps us out, kind of get jumping through all the hoops that we would have to jump through. Those guys can take care of it on on their end, and then we can pay 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 them for it. Um, you know, when it comes to a lot of the permitting stuff, I mean, they're experts at that. Uh, land acquisition, we get a big thing. We get a big uh, pushback from people about acquiring land. You know, our, our agency does not run off tax dollars. We do not operate off tax dollars. It's all hunting and fishing dollars. Um, so hunters and fishermen pay for these properties, and they pay for the management of these properties. And uh, so when it comes to even acquiring ground, most of the time, the landowners approach us as an agency wanting to see some land put back into conservation or, or wanting to see it protected. And then from there, um, you know, we, our, our policy is, is we don't pay over appraised value, so we have it appraised. We don't pay over appraised value. And then uh, we jump through all the hoops to get it purchased. So um, I think on my property, it's about it's pushing 6,000 acres, and there's only one there's one piece of eminent domain on that whole place, and it's like a four-acre patch right out in the middle of one of the pools, which was kind of irrelevant at the time. It was unfarmable, and, and it was just kind of a piece that never got deeded to anybody. But other than that, it's all been willing landowners. And they're pretty excited that some of the landowners that we've bought pieces from and developed them into wetlands, and they just can't believe how it turned out. They're just tickled to death. So it's, it's, that's a good thing. And, and then on the other side, you got people that, you know, they see us taking that out of farm production. And, and realistically, a lot of these wetland cells, they, they've tried to farm, um, and they may cut one or two successful crops on in 10 years. And it's just they're just really not made to be farm ground. So their flooding frequency, we just will plant grass and, and turn them back to moist soil, wet meadows, make a wetland unit out of it, or, or plant grass and make a great place to shoot some pheasants out of. Awesome. All righty. So, uh, what's the what's the outlook for the twenty twenty season looking like? It's looking really good um, as far as Kansas as a state goes. Um, things are looking pretty good. There was some things with some flooding we've had um, in the central part of the state and even out east. Um, some of the wetland stuff has, has, has obtained water before it usually does, which actually is going to save us some money on our property on some pumping. But uh, everybody's food is was looking really good uh, compared to last year we just had so much water we just didn't have a lot for food um does everybody everybody knows the duck numbers up north are looking phenomenal teal are way up uh, everything's either pretty static or way up for the most part and uh so if we can just get the get the right front to push through and mother nature cooperates i think it'll be a pretty good season awesome that's uh that's definitely what we like to hear <laughs> yeah yeah this state is such a wonderful state because you think about, I know in all my years hunting last year with the water we had habitat wise across mm-hmm. every place that I hunt, it was the worst year ever. But then I know how many ducks you shot, which was an amazing amount. And I had a, I didn't have my best year ever, but I did really, really well. Yeah. So the fact that we can have so much success, even on a year where the habitat is just awful, just says a lot for the whole central flyway, honestly. Yeah, I mean, even over the last 12 to 15 years, the, the evolution of the duck hunter has really changed. I mean, you know, because you know, 10 years ago, even when I was a kid, if you shot some ducks, you didn't tell anybody. You don't <laughs> tell anybody where you shot them. 
you don't show anybody a picture until two years later. And, you know, as, nowadays it's, it's how fast can we get back to the truck and put them on the tailgate to get an Instagram photo. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's kind of changed. But the hunter, hunters, have, the hunters have become so mobile. Um, it, it's incredible. And, and Kansas is impressive because, I mean, you can start hunting ducks in early September. And literally almost every weekend, but maybe one or two, you can hunt ducks every weekend from early September all the way to January 31st. Um, and then geese into and February and then snow during. geese into March. Yeah. I mean, you could be shooting ducks. You could be shooting waterfowl from February 1 to the end of March. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yet incredible. you still got guys in in Kansas that gripe and complain and, well, I just want one zone for the whole state. I'm like, so you're telling me you yeah. want to go from September to the end of January to just 70 days? I mean, yeah. really? I mean, come on, man. Yeah, I mean. It's set up perfectly. The, the federal government the federal government gets a, gives us a framework, you know. You can have seasons between this day and this day, and you can decide as a state when you want to have your seasons. But within those seasons, there has to be so many days, and you have to have a split. So that's what the feds tell us. So our agency – and we actually take data from people. So if you get a survey in the mail or, or in an email blast, when you take a survey, just take 10, 20 minutes to answer the survey. Because that, I mean, there's been surveys where he, he gets less than 10% return on. And wow. Those are surveys asking people, what do you want? As a duck hunter in mm. Kansas, what do you want? We're giving, you know, and what the most people want, that's what we present to the commission. Our agency has commissioners that are appointed by the governor. And they're the ones that have the final say on our regulation. So, so we have committees throughout the agency. We have a waterfowl committee. We have a turkey committee, a deer committee. You know, as scientists, we, we take all the data we can. And as a committee, we come up with our recommendations, what we think it should be based upon the data, not what our opinion is, not when we like to hunt, but when does the public want to hunt? And that's what we push forward to the commission. Here's, here's our data. And then the commission goes up. They have to make a decision based upon our data and our recommendation, along with what their constituents are saying that they want. So it's, it's, it's kind of a give and take. There are some things are good, some things are bad, um, but it's, it's just kind of how the process works. So, you know, people say, you know, certain certain seasons are stupid and certain dates are stupid. Well, it's really not because the harvest data shows otherwise. I mean, that's kind of reason we use numbers the way we do. We try to take as much bias out as we can and, and you tell people that and they don't believe you. And that's just kind of how it works. We're used to dealing with complainers because um, <laughs> they're the people I like to talk. And that's just part of the job. I've gotten used to it and come to enjoy it sometimes. Sometimes cynically. Those committee, meeting, th- those committee meetings are posted on Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks and Tourism website. Yeah. And they're really fascinating to watch. They're really interesting. They've yeah. got public Q&A and, and when the biologists come in with all their charts and graphs, they display them. They're, they're fascinating to watch. Yeah. And we urge people to really watch them and attend them. And, and you know, if, if people really have a gripe, they need to contact their commissioner. It's, you know, if you pick up one of our regulations books or get on the website, their commissioners, you know, there's a whole list of contact info. So, I mean, we're, you know, we, we work for the people of Kansas, just like any other agency. But most importantly, we take the resource comes first. You know, we're, you know, through, through the constitution, you know, we're, we're given the responsibility to take, to take care of the state's resource. And, and number two is, is, is providing a place for those people to enjoy those resources and, 
make those resources available. So that's kind of, you know, our mission statement and that's how we kind of, we, we try to make things go, but you know, in a political climate, it's just, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's soap and water or oil and water, you know, trying to deal with wildlife in a, in a, in a political atmosphere can be challenging at times. Definitely, uh, definitely interesting take on that. So, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but let's go ahead and jump to the lightning round. We haven't done this for a while cause we haven't had a, a new guest on, um, <laughs> But this is going to be quick questions with quick answers. And I'm looking over here at the outline. It looks like Elliot has sneakily edited the lightning round to have someone validate um, his biases. So (laughs) I've never been more excited for take, Elliot. This is I'm so excited for this lightning round. (laughs) I'm kind of scared now. I'm just I'm just giving Elliot a little bit of a hard time. So we got we got a little bit of he added some. uh, It looks like some. Um, personal request to the lightning round. So um, let's go ahead and jump on into it. So uh, what kind of choke do you shoot? Choke? Uh, I love the extended range pattern master. It never comes out of my gun. Awesome. And what kind of shells do you shoot? I'm a fan of the blue box federals. Um, I've always liked those. They shoot well. They pattern well. I do have a couple buddies that are trying to push boss on me. I know you guys are boss guys, so. I'm going to, I'm going to give her a go this year and see how, how it turns out for a few boxes. Awesome. And, uh, what, what size shot are you shooting for, uh, for ducks? For ducks, like early teal, honestly, I'll shoot like two and three quarter sevens and I'll pretty much shoot those sevens all the way through early big ducks, almost to Halloween. Wow. Um, then I might jump up to maybe some, maybe four shot. Um, then once we start getting into later in the year with big ducks and mallards, a three inch threes are about my favorite load for the combo hunts and, and mostly mallards. And then if it's a straight geese hunt, I, I, I'm a fan of three inch ones. Nice. Um, and and uh, what do you uh, have for um, geese as well? For geese? Yep. Um, geese, I like I like three inch ones or BBs. Probably my number one two. Okay, clothes. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And then, uh, what gun are you shooting? Uh, right now, I'm shooting a Bla- uh, Super Black Eagle two. I've shot it for a lot of years, but uh, I am dabbling a lot more into shooting twenty gauge. Um, I do make it a point. I'll sh- I have a four ten with some bismuth that I reloaded years ago. Um, I try to shoot some teal with a four ten, and even shoot some mallards later in the season with a four ten. But I've been shooting the twenty gauge a heck of a lot more too. Nice. How accurate are you with that um, 410 accuracy? How accurate are you? you? Believe it or not, it, the 410 kind of makes you bear down a little bit and be accurate and let those birds come in. So mm-hmm. it can be pretty, it's a, it's a lot of fun. You, I've had other people shoot with me with 410s and they're like, I can't believe it. And <laughs> you hand them the 410 and they're smoking them just like anybody else. Mm-hmm. It surprises a lot of people. Hmm. That would be a, that'd be really fun to try at some point. Oh, it's a ball. Um, and now we're going to get to some of Elliot's um, <laughs> bias validating uh, bias validating questions here. So <laughs> not true. I'm just curious of his opinion. <laughs> I just <laughs> I think it's funny though. Okay. Um, do till decoys matter? And, and I think we're going to need a little bit more explanation. So uh, compared to like just using like pin mallards versus mm-hmm. um your till decoys do those matter in till season 
this is just my personal experience. Growing up, we use everything. And in my opinion, it does not matter. So what do you use? Honestly, I think I always throw a few big, I always throw a few big mallard hens in with them just for the visibility. But what do you use winter and teal season? I've, I've got, I use about a dozen teal decoys and then I got a dozen mallard hens. Okay. That's awesome. usually about what I use. And I see lots of decoy spreads in my line of work. And, you know, I've seen guys teal hunt with fully flocked Dakota mallards with five dozen of them with eight spinners going and they shoot the same amount of ducks as a guy that's got six teal decoys and who shoots the same amount of ducks with guys that have, you know, a dozen coot decoys. <laughs> uh, so it, in my opinion, it doesn't matter. And then um, next one we got on here, do teal calls matter? Teal calls, I used to think they really didn't matter much, but the more I started kind of using one um, and seeing them used, I, I think they have their place. Um, you know, in the public land setting, it's pretty comical, the stuff you got. You've got guys ripping on mallard hen calls, you know, doing highballs at teal all morning long. But I think in the in the right setting and, and hitting the bird at the right time to get them to look at you and notice you. I think, you know, those birds are so fast. They may not notice everything. And you smack them with that little teal call and you'll see them bank around. It's, it's pretty cool. I, I, I think they work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as, uh, water swatting, are you pro or uh, against? <laughs> oh, I kind of grew up as, a, you know, it's not illegal. I've always known it's not illegal. It's kind of not the cowboy way, but, uh, you know, let's see, I've been duck hunting now for full, over 30 years. So I, I kind of like the challenge of shooting them on the wing, but, uh, you know, if you get a new hunter in there and heck yeah, swat them on the water, but that that's got to be. I've, a... I've, 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 I've kind of called it freelancing nowadays. <laughs> 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 but no, no, I'm I'm not opposed to it. I mean, if if, if you know you're going to get a clean kill on that bird, um, have at it. If you're having fun, and if that's what you want to do, that's fine by me. Yeah. If you're enjoying yourself, I don't care. It's just a personal preference thing. That's got to be, a, I think, one of my favorite ways I've heard it explained. Um, it's not the cowboy way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's very true. Yeah, um, that's just, just kind of how I grew up. Is you know, when I was really young, yeah, my first few ducks I swallowed on the water, but then after that, it was, uh, you know, and sometimes it they get a free pass. It's kind of a game you can play when you got a lot of ducks around. It's fun with your buddies, it's, you know. Elliot, you remember, was it 2018 when there were teal just all over the place the first few weeks of the season? Yeah. We started playing games, it's calling each other out. It's just like, you got to shoot a green wing left to right, mm-hmm. high as the grass. Or you got to shoot a blue wing coming over our back and going away. And, you know, that that's when it stuff gets really fun because you can rib on each other. And, you know, that's just kind of what, what makes the hunt last a little longer, too. Yeah, we sh- we we limited awesome. out every single teal hunt in 2018. We went on up there. Yeah, yeah, it was a good year. So let's uh, let's uh, next question we got is uh, smart weed millet or corn? Smart weed and millet every day. Um, corn, you know, corn has its place. I think flooded corn. This is my personal opinion, and based off of some scientific information, but. Um, Lee Fredrickson, he's kind of the, 
been noted as the father of more soil management. And more soil management didn't get really taken hold until the 80s and early 90s. And he always said, plant the corn at the gate because that's where all your hunters are going to go. Um, <laughs> and, and, and corn, corn is great. Don't get me wrong. It's a great thermal cover. It keeps, it keeps the birds out of the wind. Um, it keeps them away from avian predators. It keeps the hawks and owls out of it. And it does give them some groceries when it's cold. Uh, but it's straight carbohydrates. I mean, the best analogy I can come up with it is, is corn is the equivalent of, of you or I living on nothing but white bread. You know, it, it gets you by. But that moist soil, the smart weed, the wild millet, that's what they've been eating. You know, that's what they evolved eating. I mean, corn's only been around a little, a little bit. So that other food has the, it has the amino acids, um, you know, the, the lipids and the stuff they need to, to keep a good body condition and migration. And then in the springtime for egg development, I mean, they got to have those seeds. And, and then, and then once you get into those, those grasses and the smart wheat, there's also a lot of structure there for aquatic invertebrates and bugs. Uh, bugs this time of year are a huge part of the best diet um, and in the springtime. So, you know, corn has its place, um, but I rather go with the free, the free food that produces lots of tonnage of feed and produces a lot of duck use days. That's kind of what we call it, you know, duck use days. But, but if, you're, if you're just a stone-cold mallard killer in December, and plug you up some corn, but I like varieties of spice of life, I guess they say. So, so a little diversity in the marsh helps that. Awesome. All righty. And the question that we've all been waiting for fumbles or Elliot? <laughs> That's an easy fumbles or Elliot. I'm a fumble fan. <laughs> Everybody's a fumble mitts fan. That's a no brainer. I mean, that's like, that's like saying a Ferrari or, you know, like a Hyundai. I mean, it's a no brainer. <laughs> he is. Did you, I don't know if you saw, yeah, I put I, on uh, Facebook, um, fumble mitts is the greatest YouTube duck owner of all time. It's changed my mind. <laughs> yeah. It's all that. It's my mind. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty envious, and, I, you know, Elliot and Carl's relationship's really cool to watch because, you know, my dad and I were a lot like them. Is, is I was always real close with my dad, and I think that was through hunting and stuff. And, and he passed away in 2013, and it's, it's been a hole, you know, that's kind of left. And it's always one of those things. And, and to watch those guys enjoy each other's company, it's, it's, it's pretty neat to watch. It's a special thing yeah. having a father like that, and both of you guys know it's a, it's a very oh, special yeah. thing. Yeah. Alrighty. And so the last one we got on there um is you gotta rank these birds in order from one no, to no, six. No, 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 no. Not no, no, not not in order, no. You okay, we're we've got a one to six value. All right. So you've got to rank each bird. Okay. So six would be the very best ranking you could give the bird, and one would be the worst ranking that you could give that you could give as, the bird. As far as as far as so they all could they all, they could, all could be, be sixes, sixes right? or they all could be ones. So when we're going to give you right. types so of ducks, as far as what personal prep, however you want to rank it, like personal preference, yep. personal or... preference, preference. Oh man! All right. Well, let's say it this way, Jordan. Okay. We're okay. setting up we're setting up a, a point system. So for you know, okay. if you were to say, okay, if I shot this duck, it'd be worth the maximum amount of points you could give for the duck would be six if you shot it, and the the okay. least amount okay. you could give would be one. If that okay. makes more sense. Okay. Alrighty, so I'll say a bird name, you say a number. Okay. Pintel Drake. Pintel Drake. Do I get a, give a short explanation as sure. to why? Or not? Yeah. I, I give a Pintel Drake 
depending on the time of year, I'd give him a five or a six with that being high. I mean, who hasn't been seeing a flock of mallards work each way and you see one white speck in there and not just lose your mind? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So six, then uh, Mallard Drake. Mallard Drake. I, I'd give Mallard Drake a, a, a solid four or five just because they're so popular and they're so cool to watch. Fun to shoot. Yep. All right. A redhead Drake. A redhead. I'd give him a I'd give him a three. They're pretty acrobatic birds and they're really cool to look at. A widgeon Drake. Widgeon Drake, six all the way. It's my favorite. Song. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um more so than the mallards. If, if I see a flock of mallards and I see one pintail in there, but I hear a widgeon, the, the mission is the widgeon every time. All right. Uh, Hooded Merganser. Drake. <laughs> Hooded Merganser. I give them about a two. They look cool. And then a uh, Wood Duck Drake. Wood Duck Drake, I'd give them a three. Just They're cool looking duck. We get quite a few of them around here, but and the correct the correct answer is here, here, here were the correct answers. Okay, so I guess you're sure. Pintail Drake six, Mallard Drake five, red haired redhead Drake. I don't remember what we had at three or four. Widgeon Drake four, and we've had the reason I put this on here oh, is so, Jordan so and I've been having this big debate about the Wood Duck Drake and where it would go on this about list. What? about the Wood, Wood Duck, Duck Drake. Jordan and I had about a 15 minute debate oh, about what value the Wood Duck Drake should have. And so your 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 three yeah. made me very happy, and Jordan very sad. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, so so each duck needed its own number. So I put the wood duck right down the middle. I put him a solid three in in our part of the world. Yeah. See, I think I some, think the problem with answering if you answer, if you ask a couple corn fed Kansas boys, I mean, mm-hmm. all they see is pintails and, and mallards. But you know, the, yeah. the problem is the 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 rest of the world. <laughs> isn't so lucky so um <laughs> i think it's a a, a much more uh, desirable bird in other parts of the country yeah i agree with that because i mean you get on the east coast i get a lot of non-resident hunters where all they shoot are wood ducks and buffleheads mm-hmm. and i had a group of guys i think it was from north carolina show up and they shot a three-man limb with a shoveler and they i've never seen three guys so happy <laughs> in my life and nothing against shovelers i, I love a shoveler i'll I'll tell you, we I do a duck camp with some buddies, and the goal is to shoot a shoveler. And it, if there's a shoveler, if you got a thirty mallard dumping in on you, and a shoveler cuts through the decoys, that shoveler is, is toast. <laughs> you have to have a lot awesome. of ducks under your belt to have that rule. I just gotta say, more ducks than I've got under my belt. <laughs> uh, they're they're just a big teal. They get they they're so they get such a bad rap. Well, the problem, I mean, the problem is we <laughs> don't get those cool beautiful bird. drakes hardly. I mean, when you get a Early yeah, molting Drake. They're just ugly looking. The coloration on them is just awful. Yeah. You're going to get some yeah, hate for that one of, later, so, Elliot. <laughs> you kind of judge the backhoes on the on the whipster bill when they're, when they're that ugly. Yeah. But you know what? You throw him on the grill with a bunch of teal, nobody can tell what they're yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that one, uh, or this one, probably come to a, a, an end right here. And, uh, um thank you matt for coming on we definitely had a lot of fun and tons of insight um on what it you know what all it means to be a wildlife biologist and really appreciate you coming on 
All righty, folks. Thanks for uh, sticking with us for the rest of the podcast. Um, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. I'm Jordan from Duck Hunt Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and we'll see you guys on the next one. Alrighty, folks. Thanks for tuning in for that podcast. Um, finally wrapped it all up, and uh, now now it's me and Elliot here again, um, and we want to go ahead at the end of this podcast and talk a little bit about uh, what we got going on with the hunt stats and Patreon. So you ready ready for this, Elliot? Yeah, I absolutely am. You know, we did a, an entire episode a couple weeks ago about freelance hunt stats and. You know, Jordan and I, we have merged um, Freelance Hunt Stats and Patreon, and you know, we're partners on the podcast, and so we just have so much going on, man, that we want to we want to let you guys in on a little bit of that. And so since, since that episode aired, we've had quite a few people come over to Patreon and sign up over there. We've had quite a few people sign up to Hunt Stats, and, you know, if you really like what Jordan and I are doing here... And you want to get extra content or you just want to support what we're doing to keep us moving forward and keep our videos cranking out, keep our podcast cranking out, keep us producing the things that we're trying to produce, you know, for us, but also for you guys too. You can help us out at either of those places, Patreon or Hunt Stats. Um, Jordan, you kind of want to just share with them a little bit about what Patreon is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's a, a fan funding website. Um, and you know, kind of the idea behind it for us, it's, it's not like a, a get rich scheme or something like that. It's, a uh, um, we're taking this money and we're funding it into building, uh, the freelance hunt stats website. And, you know, we just got off the phone with, tonight with our, our developer for, um, the hunt stats and we got some big plans in there. We talked a lot about it, um, in that podcast episode. Um, but yeah, we're, we're laying the framework for, our next big updates. Um, and they're going to be super, super cool to see them coming out and they will be out, um, you know, for use in this season. So we're definitely both excited about that. Yeah, we've got Jordan and I have really, really big ideas, um, of stuff to create for you guys now. So inside up with the Patreon, there's, there's different levels of funding. And with that, you get different, different things. So, um, one of them is for $3, you get the Patreon content and you get a freelance hunt stats, um, full pain membership. So that's what most people have been doing. So on Patreon, we put extra content over there. In fact, we had a question from Brock Hardy over there at Patreon. And when we're done with this, we're going to record just a special content, um, podcast segment just for our patrons. There's also lots of other videos that I've put over there over the past two or three years. It's just a bunch of waterfowl hunting content and then freelance hunt stats. Well, that's just the hunt log where you, you get done with a hunt and you record all the information from your hunt and it saves it in a database where you can look at it and, and write and look at the notes and just remember your hunts at a much higher level. So both of those places are, I I'm proud of them. I'm proud of the, the community that we have on both of those. And I'm just excited where it's all going. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm definitely excited for, for all that and proud as well. Um, you know, and, and to kind of touch on the, the update that we got coming for the hunt stats, um, we're working on a scoring system. It's built off of, uh, the game that Elliot and his dad used to play. And I, and I'm really, really excited to, you know, being, being able to, uh, enter my, uh, stats in this season from the hunts, enter my hunts in the numbers for that, and then see that scoring system as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun, um, seeing where that goes, but, uh, definitely appreciate you guys, 
uh, tuning in with us for this little mini segment here at the end of the podcast. Um, and like Ellie was saying, you know, if you guys um, are looking to support what we're doing on um, the Freelance Hunt Stats, um, that would be a perfect way to do that. You know, you can either jump on the Freelance Hunt Stats for an account um, or jump on the Patreon as well. And everything we get from that, we're just using that to build on to um, the Freelance Hunt Stats and all the updates we got coming for the future. And I apologize for my dog's barking. Izzy <laughs> is letting her unhappiness be known. But last thing I want to do is I want to give a special shout out to Hadley Filmily. He is the most recent patron who signed up. And I wanted to give him a special shout out for coming over and joining us at Patreon. Hadley, if there's anything you ever need from George and I. In fact, I'm waiting to hear back from you, Hadley, to see which hat you would like. You can either have a duck gun, um, duck gun hat or an FDH hat. So reach out to me so I can make sure we can get that in the mail for you. Awesome. All righty, folks. That's all we got for tonight. Jordan, Duck and Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and we'll see you guys on the next one.